1: Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live. F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. Welcome to the second part of our summer buffet. Later on in the show, we're going to catch up with Tomo from the Cooldown Podcast about what's happened in the F1 fan space, You know, in general, on social media and at the tracks. We're going to be speaking to our friends at Formula Nerds about the Junior Series, which ones should we follow? is it good racing to watch and who are the stars of the future but let's kick off this week by talking about some racing rules and i'm delighted to be joined by an expert someone who gets to write about formula one for a living and produce on motorsport we're joined by the head of production at driver 61 and driven media it's callum mcintyre appreciate your time callum hello hey spanners thanks for having me awesome to be on the show i been listening a long time (laughs) you have a better job than me so don't you know i'm very very jealous describe what your role is
3: uh I, i manage a couple of youtube channels basically um so we've got driver 61 which is about motorsport and formula one um i'm sure a lot of the audience may have seen those videos as well um where scott who used to be a pro racing driver breaks down formula one um i'm an engineer so i write a lot about the cars uh on on there as well um and then we have another channel which is in the automotive space so taking what we learned from driver 61 and applying it to the world of cars um and that is and that is well growing really fast uh it's a year old we're up to 250,000
2: subscribers but uh we yeah do silly things with cars basically and what have you been up to lately i I know but i kind of how much can (laughs) you tease how much can you tell us
3: we we drove up to uh we drove up to Scotland last week. It was nine hours of driving altogether, um, in in some cars. And then I was at the track yesterday. Uh we're trying to make a Subaru faster than a supercar uh for a series on a budget. Uh and we put some new tires on the car and did some uh I'd say nerdy testing <laughs> on the track, but it was a lot of fun.
2: Does it have to already be quite a good car that you're just doing up? For example, my beloved Peugeot 2008 it's got a roof box and everything is that is that something we could soup up
3: probably I don't know has it got a turbo you, you it, might be able to do some uh, engine management stuff on it it's got an eco engine Callum mm,
2: 1. Nice. 1. 1.2 litre
3: well to be honest ours isn't that super it was a is a Subaru WRX but we got the estate uh we <laughs> we figured out that the estate was two grand cheaper than the saloon but wasn't two grand slower um, so, so we bought that, uh, and then it was, uh, well, it's 220 brake horsepower, but we're going to, we're going to take that up. I think we're hoping for about 350, 400 horsepower once it's wow. done.
2: And it's got to, to beat your supercar on a track.
3: On a track. Yeah. So Scott in a Lamborghini, he picked a Mercy Murcielago. He went a bit easy on us. He went for like similar era. Right. Uh, and then, yeah, we're in a estate Subaru. <laughs> so,
2: um, your, but we're your, getting there. Your driver expert, Scott Mansell, no relation? He's not a relation oh, to okay to Nigel his dad does
3: uh restore Formula One cars for a living though so he is uh in that space
2: hey look don't worry we'll have links in the show notes below so you can go and check out all of Callum's work and Driver 61 and Driven Media but you and I uh, got chatting basically because of your TikToks your uh TikTok sensation and you had some sim racing videos on there which were basically you causing various accidents and then examining why it was your fault. And obviously we do a very similar thing. Whose fault is it as well? And, and I just think like examining those kind of incidents, particularly the ones you caused on sim racing, are, are so good to do as fans.
3: Totally. <laughs> They're not all my fault. <laughs> it was always, it's, it came out of, uh, you'll know Spanners if you're on iRacing. Yeah. There's a voice chat there. So if you have a crash with someone, normally it ends up in a heated discussion yes uh, of you saying no it was your fault and then them saying no it was your it was my fault uh, and then normally you go back and look at the replay and you can actually arrive at a consensus normally it's like oh yeah, yeah okay sorry Um, But uh, I thought it would make some engaging TikTok content. Isn't it amazing how (laughs) any
2: kind kind of incident on on sim racing and and karting, and I'm, I'm sure this is going to be the same for the F1 drivers, is that any incident that you're in, no way does it feel like your fault. Like it always feels like you did everything you could to avoid the accident.
3: Yeah, Yeah, particularly in sim racing, I think, because you have such a narrow field of view, even if you've got triple monitors, like that you're still limited in your vision. VR, come on, Callum. It seems like a a car arrives from nowhere and took you out when actually it could be that, you know, your line wasn't great. It was probably your fault. You're going in too hot. Um, But TikTok thrives off (laughs) engagement. And so actually discussions in the comments were only a good thing Um, and so it kind of kept, it went from there. Now I used to only post the ones I was fairly confident weren't my fault, <laughs> um, and then when even if it was my fault and I knew it was my fault and I apologised, I'd still show it. Yeah. Um, because often they they did better because they run in the comments was shouting
2: saying Callum, it was your fault." <laughs> uh-huh. So, um, like, but if you look at like F one, there's a political element as well where they're playing to the referee a certain amount as well. They can't just go, oh, that was my bad. But you do just get that genuine belief that no one ever thinks they they cause an accident, even if they've just like chinned them from five cars back. Then they'll go, whoops, yeah, oh that's not going to look good at the stewards. Yeah, I, I, you're
3: right, actually, is, is that... But after the race, in sim racing, you can have a discussion and be mm. cool about it. And I'm actually... I bet Lewis and Max, after a few of them, did, you know have a chat or have a, at least, you know, some sort of discussion about it. Uh, but you're, you're right. Once you're in it and the stewards can hear everything on team radio, you're not going to say, ah, that was my bad.
2: Yeah, it would be interesting to know what, what would happen if they had live in, you know, driver-to-driver comms. I, I'm pretty confident that's never going to happen. But actually, what I wanted to kick off with today is uh, is racing rules in general. So we, we sort of have to learn a different set of racing rules Every motorsport discipline, but there are kind of there are some universal ones. But you were telling me that F one rules are quite a bit different to to other forms of racing. Why is that?
3: I would say so. Um, When you look at lower formulas, uh, from you know some lower down the the open seater route, I watch a lot of Mazda racing from the US. All right, Uh, they have some some epic racing. MX five wide, yeah, 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 like five wide going into. What was it turn four at road america like they're they're much more rugged you know they get away with some wheel banging some door banging you know and and they can race like that and they know yeah. it it's the same in karting really when you've got bumpers on a cart, i feel like everyone naturally uh treats that sort of side to side knocking as ah, oh, it's you know that's yeah. that's racing formula one they can't have that because it becomes an airplane crash really fast um so th- that's part, of, yeah. yeah, that's part of it. I think
2: Well, yeah, in karting, for example, if there's a a right hander followed by a left hander, and I, I squeeze someone on the first part of that corner, then you've got to negotiate how far you're both gonna go to to the to the entry to the next corner. So I can park myself in the middle of the road and go. By the way, this is as far right as I'm going, and the guy on my left will know that because he hits me, and that, and that's kind of accepted. But in Formula One, I guess. And, and any open wheeler, you have to have more set rules about that. And, I, and often feel in F1, there's like an unwritten expectation of how a car is meant to position themselves, which can be very hard to interpret.
3: Totally. And I think last year particularly, that was more unwritten than it is this year. Yeah. Like, I mean, it is. Like, they've come out with these new racing rules and I maybe will have discussion about that maybe they're not exactly the right wording for for what we're aiming at but they're a, a, certainly a step in the right direction um but i think in in racing if if you watch i mean sports cars as well they have a totally different set of rules altogether. in that it's multi-class and you know they're often quite aggressive mm. um you'll have you know a class up lmp2 sending it from miles back saying you're gonna have to get out of the way otherwise we're having a, a big shunt um in Formula One, that's not really okay.
2: <laughs> do do but, you want to give yeah. us a bit of a primer then on on what the racing rules are that have been established? So I'm treating you like Wikipedia, but um, or, mm. or, or like a smart speaker, Callum. What are the new F1 rules?
3: Broadly, so I think to to me, it's about whether you're a alongside or not. Right. So if you've got a car that is in the braking zone alongside, you need to leave them room. Mm. Uh, and you, you can get in, into arguments about what you call alongside where it's like your front wheel is between their two axles or mm. however you want to describe that it's like you need to leave space for a car to be there so yeah, they have a fair fight for the corner now you, you get into some uh difficulties when through a long sweeping corner you have areas you have part of the corner where you're going to be alongside and part where you're not uh and discussing you know who has the the racing line um, broadly yeah. last year, it was whoever gets to the apex first can do what they like. That was kind of the unwritten, you know, the rule that was, Enforced. I mean, it wasn't unwritten because the stewards kind of ruled on it.
2: Yeah. It's how they enforce um, it. So they were enforcing via precedent or precedent almost.
3: Yeah, I think so. Mm. Um, so, so this that's, year, that's,
2: yeah, sorry, sorry, Callum. So this year I was, I was, I thought the rule was basically was only pertaining to the outside car. So if the outside car has gotten ahead by the apex, they're entitled to racing room on the exit. If they haven't got as far as, you know, getting ahead by the apex, they can be Verstappen slash Hamiltoned off the road on the exit.
3: Yeah. And I think we saw that in Silverstone. Was it Lewis on Perez? Uh, Perez came across coming out of Luffield and Lewis backed out. Mm -hmm. Like he, he knew, I haven't got a fight here. I'm going to back out and, you know live live to fight another corner um so we saw that i think um whereas there there have been other incidents where where it's been tougher to call like uh was it uh perez around the outside of uh, of george yes in austria? austria yeah like that one to me was a bit was a bit more difficult because like who was ahead at the apex it was really hard to judge that you could judge that a number of ways and also perez didn't use all the track Yes. Um, so, again, the stewards have got a really hard job, but there should be some rules that are stated they, to, to They've taken a step
2: on. in the, the right direction, I think, with that one. And also in Austria, there was an incident where I think it was, was signed. He actually got shoved off the road when he was entitled to room. So when he came back on with an advantage, <laughs> he didn't get a penalty because I think he was a judge that, well, he should have had racing room. He's come back on the track safely, and then he's he's been able to carry on so it's a start but actually that example with Perez is a really good one also similarly trigger warning Silverstone (laughs) 2021 where you could argue Verstappen he had room to his his left a lot of Verstappen fans would argue that Hamilton had to take the exit which is not a rule that I don't I, I believe exists but there isn't really a rule to how much the outside car can squeeze so is Verstappen entitled to just squeeze as much as he can and force that inside car to the inside was Perez entitled to do that to to Russell? that's still an area that we don't know the rules.
3: That's true actually. Um, you put it well there in that it, for Verstappen, I don't want to tr- yeah trigger anyone here, but <laughs> like he, did, he could have left more room. you know he but would have it, been did he have to the corner but, yeah. but he could have left more room, but you're right, there's no rule to say you need to give this much room. Or you need to use all of the available. You know, you need to yeah. leave as much as possible. Like, as soon as you start saying that, you're dictating who's ahead. You know, you're choosing who wins that battle. Um, I think if you, yeah, if you dictate an amount of space with that, I mean, I've I've listened to the podcast for a while, Spanners. I think I know what your view is on that corner. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure if I fully agree. Like, I it's totally within. I know you don't like to. It's totally within racing incident. Yeah. But uh it's it's like where you put the majority <laughs> of that blame in that whenever you've got two cars battling, it's it's never going to be a hundred percent zero percent. There's no. always gonna be some overlap. Um but yeah, I, I think if you're going into there from the inside um and you're trying to do it as cleanly as possible, you don't carry in the same speed as you would if you're coming from the optimum racing line. Um you make sure you leave room for the outside car. Yeah. Now both of them
2: could have done more. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I'm not overly upset with Hamilton being deemed to have been mostly at fault there and, in fact, getting a penalty, whereas Verstappen's actions were were more or less self-policing at the time. So, you know, as in he put a squeeze on, he could have left more room. That ended up uh, putting him out, him out of the race. So so there's an element of self-policing, but last year it was very let them race. So, I, and that, that may be political as well, but this year... The stewards have come in very much with no, no, no race within the track limits for one thing. And within our our rules, do you think we should be moving towards a, a clearer set of rules or or was it OK kind of in the Wild West? I'm trying to imagine like football matches where there's no offside rule, but you just go kind of if it feels right, then it's not offside. And yeah, do you know what I mean, that's how it kind of felt last season.
3: Yeah, I, I'm in two minds. Right. Last year I was watching it. I, I'm a... I'm someone who watches Formula One for the racing. Like, I think there are broadly three types of fans. There are the the F1 tech people. I mean, I'm kind of in that that realm as well. Nerd. There are the people that <laughs> yep. that love it as a sport, you know, and love all the the yeah, driver stuff going on and like how the teams are doing. And there are the, the people that will watch any racing. Um, now, I'm I'm in that category, and I loved the racing that went on last year, but. And and actually, that racing, in, in a lot of other categories, not all of them, would have been fine, um, in my opinion. Like, you could take a lot of instances and compare them to others, like particularly in the Mazdas, but also in <laughs> in Formula 3 and in IndyCar and in Indy Lights and a few other series. Um, but I don't think in Formula 1, and we learned this last year, you can, you can do that. It has to be a bit stricter. It's like if you're at the Champions League and you're doing offside calls on gut feel, like it's, there's a lot at stake. So I think that fair rules and accurate policing of them yeah. is the right way to go.
2: So in all forms of you're doing, hang on, I'm just careful of what I'm allowed to say and not allowed to say. You do some racing and let's say that you have experience in real life racing, at least the study of it. What I find hardest, uh, karting with some of our guys who are really good or sim racing with a lot of these guys is when it's okay to lunge. And when you should allow the lunge. So I think we can talk sort of broadly and in Formula One terms, the lunge. That's the information I want from you, Callum. A, when is it okay for you to, to make that lunge? And what is a lunge? And B, as the defending car, when do you go, that lunge, that's, yeah, that's coming whether I want it to or not.
3: Yeah, that's interesting because uh, people get shouted at, particularly in iRacing, for <laughs> that was a silly lunge. If it's clean, by... But- Maybe I should define what I mean by like yes. a clean lunge. Do it, do it. It's like, if you're going to shove it down the inside and essentially uh, get to the apex before the car you're overtaking, and if you can do that leaving space, that's fine, right? So if you're going through a hairpin, let's say at Hockenheim, it's the first one I've thought of, and you shove it down the inside and you essentially block the other car turning in, I think that's okay. As long as you give them time to react to that and they see you coming, which they will. It's a long braking zone. Um, that's okay. Where you get in troubles is where you try and open a gap where <laughs> the other car is already turning in and you put your car in the way and you make them tur- either turn out or open up the steering. I think that's that's one we'd say is unfair. Now, sim racers often get funny about it and say, oh, that was a dive bomb. How dare you? Yeah, what's a and dive that- bomb? We're here to race. Like <laughs> dive bomb is a, is a form of a move like that—that's allowed in my book. Um, so yeah, if you can do it without hitting the car on the outside yeah. and
2: without making them take avoiding action, you know that they, they shouldn't have to. Okay, so you're uh, you're the defending car, Callum. Okay, so mm. you're going to break in a straight line, and then the braking face is going to turn into a nice curved loop to the apex and you and you go out so you're taking quite you're not taking the shortest possible route to the apex actually are you you're you're breaking no. in a straight line then you're tra- transferring your weight and you're just trying to get this nice increasing arc into the apex me behind you i'm gonna point at the apex and i'm gonna break with the intention of i would make the corner i'm not necessarily gonna stop on the apex and turn in but When is it okay? Because surely, like, there's so many situations where I could just do that every time. I could just send it into the corner. But you've started turning. I appear on the inside of you. I make you open up the steering. And and you leave me space. Now, at no point in that maneuver have I hit you. You've left me all the space I need. Thank you, Callum. That's okay, isn't it? I think so. Do you, do you think so? <laughs> OK, this, the very similar move, at uh, trigger warning again, Abu Dhabi 2021 after the, the safety car, where Verstappen yeah. goes down the inside, nowhere near the apex. It, it's a dive. It's one that Hamilton probably wasn't expecting. Hamilton opens up the steering. If he hadn't opened up the steering, they crash. Is that OK? Because Hamilton left him space. And Verstappen only ever moved into space where a car didn't exist.
3: I think so. I yeah. thought that was a fairly clean move. So, yeah. It was bold. You, like, yeah, it's a big move. <laughs> it was it was a brave move, but he was he was on good tyres. He, he he knew how to get it stopped. Um, I think if he'd if he'd like wheel banged with with Lewis there, if he'd shot past the apex with way too much speed, like that wouldn't be okay. Um, but he got it stopped. He got it turned. He got out the corner. In my book, that's fine.
2: What if uh, Hamilton doesn't open up the steering? That then you
3: get yeah. into. Uh, <laughs> but i would like to think the car was going max's car was going slow enough that he could have rotated the car earlier if he needed to yeah. but he sort of put uh, like a block on didn't he? Yeah. he he made lewis back right out and ran all the way out to the curb i i think he would have been able to get that car rotated
2: um that see this is interesting cuz if those guys can make those decisions in real time then that's kind of fine because you're like negotiating at every little point like i'm i'm coming in i'm i'm staying out there are you staying there oh no no ah, i've seen you open up that means i can now take that bit of space obviously in karting i would just i would if i was in hamilton's position you know i leave my car there i let you hit me and then the stewards can make up their own mind but you can't do that in f1 because it's quite you know the the risks are much higher
3: yeah definitely mm. definitely i yeah I, I, these these two they've been racing all their life like we can see they the number of dive bombs they've they've done they know what is a what is a fair dive bomb um, and how to do that i mean if max had if max had lunged down there and hurt his car and you know taken off the front wing he that would have been bad he would have go, been going in knowing what he needed to get done without causing contact and i think he did it in that instance yeah
0: mm.
2: um. yeah so i don't know i just when you're the when you're the defending car when do you make that decision to go to open up the steering? And when do you hold? I Sometimes, like, I wish more drivers would let the accident happen. It's easy to say from the safety of a shed. But, you know, sometimes you go, especially when they're getting launched off the outside of turns sometimes. Rosberg, when he was against Hamilton, I would I, I just be like constantly just hold your ground. Just let him hit you. Obviously, it's <laughs> easy to say from a shed. Yeah,
3: I think... Uh, you were talking to Brad uh, a couple of weeks ago about this and he's right in, in almost any other form of racing, unless it's like rental karting where you really, you know, the carts are okay. They'll take a knock. You can't ever really, unless you're Lance Stroll, like let the crash happen because the the cost is absolutely enormous. Yes, In sim racing, you can. Like you can learn from those mistakes, and you can fight a bit harder. Scott and I often jump on the sim after work and open up a a lobby, and we just go hammer and tongs, have loads of crashes, turn off damage, and have a great time of it. And uh, I think that's a it's a good way to learn racecraft of what's okay, what's not okay, in a way that doesn't cost you any money. Um, But in in racing, I don't think any of them can afford that.
2: Well, we have a practice sessions for our rf3 championship starting in september email racecontrol at missdapex.net calum you're going to get involved in that i'll I'll
3: be there i've signed up so we do we
2: do have practice races in the weeks leading up to it and so yeah in that situation you will hold your ground and let them hit you and have the argument but when it comes to race day you're protecting your race position and so you don't you don't want to let that happen but if you've got someone who's so much more aggressive than the rest of the field like verstappen last year he kind of gets a jump on everyone, a march on everyone, and I, my feeling is that after twenty twenty one, every driver out there needs to be racing like Verstappen. Yeah, <laughs> if they let them, uh, if they continue to let it happen, do you know what I mean? I, I wasn't angry with Verstappen for any of that driving last season. I just thought, well, you've got you've gone to the edge of what is enforced. Everyone needs to do that now.
3: I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think he was the one that went here. Here are the rules. I'm going to drive to to the very very limit of that. <laughs> And fair play. Uh I think sometimes sometimes a lot of the drivers go like go quite easy um in these situations. Like they back out a bit early or mm. um but I suppose you can understand that, you know, the difference between one position often, you know, particularly with these long races, like Formula One races in the grand scheme of things are quite long. They've got time to make these things up, they don't have
2: a crash in lap two.
3: Yeah. Uh but yeah.
2: And, and also the fact that If you're a McLaren and it's a Red Bull coming through, that's not really a position for you anyway. So that can make it look like they're sometimes being a bit soft. Whereas in a spec series and your Mazdas, I suppose every overtake, every position is a position that could be yours.
3: And uh, particularly when they're doing that for like P23, it's like a 50 car grid (laughs) and there's six of them going at it. Like they, they will be pretty brutal with how they overtake. They also end up doing a clever thing where if they're in a pack, They'll um, entice an overtake, only to make the person behind lose time, so they can open up a gap. <laughs> if you imagine if you're in a series yeah. like th- where the toe is massive, Mazdas, Caterhams, like any of those, where the toe really, really matters, and if you're in a pack of six and you've got to the front of the pack, if you let the guy behind you come alongside and show him the outside all the way around the outside of the corner, only for him to block the pack for the next corner, you've gained a second. You're out the toe. You're away you can make some (laughs) ground whereas if you're in that six car pack (laughs) yeah you're always going to be battling for the whole race losing loads of time so i enjoy watching them do that
2: I, i wonder if we'll get a little bit more of that in formula one as the regulations start to change hopefully maintain this um this lesser aero wash having the cars being able to be in the tow for longer we might start seeing you know a lot more of that kind of racing
3: yeah yeah mm. any racing like that is excellent in my book
2: speaking uh-huh. of any kind yeah. of racing uh before you go i do want to ask about tractor uh, lawnmower racing yeah you compete in this lawnmower is always racing? a funny discussion Yeah, tell us about it
3: right so racing is really expensive uh <laughs> even if you were to do karting yes. i mean you're looking at tens of thousands if not you know competitive karting it sometimes into the hundreds of thousands um the cheapest racing I could find was, was lawn mower racing. My interestingly, my father in law's done it for ages. He's won multiple world uh well, they do a 12 hour race actually. But anyway, so there's three wow. classes of lawnmowers. mowers. Uh it essentially has to once have been a lawnmower, and then you take off the regulator, take off the blades, and turn that into a machine that you race. Okay. It's basically if you mixed like motocross and karting, it sounds very silly. It's a lot of fun. Um and it's where you can go racing for an entire year on like 500 quid. Like a meeting is 40 pounds really? rather than if you were to go for a I mean, you'll know karting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundreds a weekend. Um and so it was a it was an opportunity for last year of me to get my hands dirty and build a thing. Um, and then this year go and race it. And it's been a load of fun. <laughs> how um, how have you done <laughs> against the highest? Hardened... Uh, i still at the back of the pack. Ah, okay. It's like it's it's a brand new thing. I've got a I've got a new engine coming uh, in a couple of days. Uh, but it's it's really really good like hard racing uh but in a way that's
2: cheap so we're talking about bumpers and being surrounded by a car versus open wheel i suppose in lawnmower racing are you not open-legged so if you go do you go knee to knee
3: uh not really it's uh. kind of like they're like little sit on <laughs> lawnmowers are the ones i race and you've got stuff around you've got you know metal uh, bits running down the side of the car so it is a lot of Door banging, but they're not, not doors. Televi- uh, televised
2: yeah. lawnmower racing. No, no, don't be silly. Oh,
3: okay. <laughs> I, I made a few TikToks out of it, uh, and they got some good traction. Actually, I thought people would look at that oh. and go, "What on earth is that?"
2: Um, well, we'll yeah. make sure we make sure we link to some of your TikTok tractor racing as well as your <laughs> sim racing. As uh, not, tra- I keep saying tractor lawnmower racing. But look, this has been interesting because I don't feel like there's enough discussion about the actual mechanics of racing and it really is the soul of of all motorsport really
3: it's been something that's really interesting because i've come at it from a perspective of a sim racer i haven't been lucky enough to go racing in real life um whereas scott i i work with every day has been racing all of his life he's raced formula one cars um for for a number of series well seasons formula cars and so formula one cars uh, he he raced in Boss GP, which is oh, a wow. uh, a series for like older race cars, so older Formula One cars. So they oh, have, wow. I think they have to be four years old, four years old at least.
2: I'd watch that. And when
3: he was sixteen, he won that championship. So he's he's driven like thirty Formula One cars. Oh
1: wow! So
3: taking someone from that perspective and then my sim racing perspective and us arguing, often we argue a lot because in yeah. sim racing the rules are different. Yeah, um, you have to sort of race in. Uh, you have to leave half a track basically because you don't really know where they are. Um, whereas he's very much like, No, you know, <laughs> you can you can crowd someone off the track and it's okay. I've yeah. done it all my racing career. So that that's kind of where my experience of racing rules have come from. And it's
2: it's it's a fun thing to discuss, isn't it? Certainly has been today, and I hope we get a chance to discuss them again. The links to Callum's TikTok, to Driver 61 stuff, some lawnmower racing, and Driven Media will be in the show notes below. Callum McIntyre, thank you so much for your time.
3: Cheers, Spanners.
4: A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh,
5: it's a it's a t-shirt
2: Right, now we turn our attention to the Junior Series. What is going on with those slightly smaller looking F1 cars? Who are these people that are racing them? And why do they suddenly appear in Formula 1 to a, a hail of excitement? I always feel like a young driver appears on the F1 radar, like Piastri, and everyone is speaking with this complete confidence that of course Piastri is going to be brilliant and everyone should want him. And I don't know who he is because I am rubbish at keeping track of the junior series, so to help me with that, we've got Samuel Coop from Formula Nerds. Thank you for your time, Sam. Hope, hope things are going well. How are you? Yeah, I'm. I'm good, thank you. All, all good my side. How are you, Spanners? I'm good. I want to know about Formula Nerds, Sam. Tell me all about it, because you guys just keep appearing on my radar wherever I look. There's Formula Nerds.
5: Well, that's good. That's the aim. Uh, so we're, we're two and a half years old or so. We started as a Facebook group um, just before COVID hit. And kind of grew from there. Started producing you know, original content ourselves, um, and then have you know, started to get to those thresholds where we're accredited um, for F2, F3, W Series, great. and Formula E. F1 is of course the the aim, but we're uh, yeah we're making good strides, and yeah we've got a, a solid viewership. So
2: yeah, exciting to see what comes next. I was speaking to your your boss man, Oli. And we were talking about the various stages of trying to make it as a, you know, a content creator, as a publication. And one big milestone is getting to the point where people take the time to tell you to bog off. You go, oh, well, at least they took the time to tell me to bog off.
5: Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's, it's always nice when you, uh, even, even if you go out for a comment or you know interview requests, it's, once you get declined, you know that you're, they're taking you seriously. <laughs> Otherwise,
2: they just ignore you usually. Exactly. Okay, well, help me unpick a little bit about the, the Junior Series. I do catch it, and when I catch it, it's always good racing. I don't know why I don't watch it more. I think one of the things is I never know when it's on, and then I get confused between F2 and, and F3. But the scheduling of the Junior Series is is an odd one. They don't go everywhere.
5: No, they don't. So with F2, it's 14 rounds a season. So it's the majority of the, the season. Um, with F3, it's slightly fewer. It's nine rounds this season. Uh, they tend to not be at street circuits, partly because there's 30 of them and essentially you have, you have teenagers in those cars. You can imagine the chaos that could cause. So it's, yeah, it's a fair few races, but, uh, again, because of budget and, and scheduling, not at all, you know, all 22.
2: All right. So, is that have we seen less of them this season because we had such a, a high amount of street circuits to start with?
5: Yes. Yeah, so, with actually interesting with, with Formula Three, over the first three months of the season or so, there were only three rounds, and then in July alone, you had three rounds, and now you, you we're heading into a triple header with Spa, Zandvoort, and Monza for those
2: guys. Okay. Okay answer me this question then, because I've had loads of arguments with um, a certain member of my panel. I'm not going to name and shame Chris, but we've argued about whether a rich driver can get an advantage in the junior series. So to start with, it's a spec series. Is it completely spec? So F3 is
5: completely spec. F2 is still a spec series. However, there are certain types of components. That you can source yourself as the competitor. Mm. So you can, yeah, it, it will still be the same component essentially, but it can be an equivalent or superior standard part that you can put in the car, which is sometimes why you see a, a big difference between teammates in F2 uh, and their pace.
2: Oh, so even between teams, they might not have the same quality of engine, tyre.
5: So it's, they're referred to as type three um, parts. So tires will be the same. I'm pretty sure the engine ah, is, is is actually yeah. the same. But there'll be a few subtle bits throughout the car. But it doesn't make a huge difference. Uh, but it does account for a little bit of a uh, time on the on the lap.
2: Okay. And are these things that just the drivers will personally bring in with their funding, say rather than a team wanting to get better parts, or do, do the teams vary with these type type three parts? No. Yes. Yeah, so, so it's, so it's gen it's generally
5: the drivers. They're the ones who who yeah essentially buy their seat. They bring the sponsorship. They're the ones who get them there as opposed to the teams. Obviously, if you have a hot young protege, teams are going to be vying for their their signature. But it's it's the money brought by the driver as opposed to the team.
2: Okay, who's the best team in Formula 2, say?
5: So in terms of consistency um, and performance, there are teams that shine through year on year. Carlin do pretty well in terms of their performance. ART are usually... Uh, pretty competitive terraport chair being their their lead driver at the moment,
2: so what's their incentive as a team if it's broadly a spec series what's their incentive to kind of go racing? how can they make their name what why are they in it a for the love of the sport to
5: to promote young drivers, give them those opportunities okay also there there is obviously the money in it for those guys as well
2: oh okay so they they will make money based on how well they can do, so for them, the incentive is to either get a good driver and get prize money
5: uh as, as far as i'm aware i wouldn't be able to tell you off the top of my head <laughs> but i i otherwise i can't really see you know why else they do it, so yeah oh I, I, yeah, and I I, so. yeah so
2: i just i'm, I'm wondering uh, really how how much is money a factor is what i've been nibbling around here for sam so is there still space for say a lewis hamilton who if he was my mate at school lewis hamilton would have been our rich friend because his dad was able to <laughs> buy him go-karts and go go-karting. You know, even to get to that point to be noticed by McLaren, he would have been the rich kid. Is there space, though, for relatively poor dr- financially drivers like Lewis Hamilton to come up now? Like, Will we ever get a Lewis Hamilton again who couldn't personally fund going into race cars?
5: We will because, again, driver academies are still very much, in fact, they're a bigger thing than they have previously been. They will often fund a talented driver's seat to help them get really? there so you will see lewis hamilton's again albeit it's difficult uh, especially with motorsport becoming increasingly expensive but cash is king so yeah it does make things difficult
2: and in um in f2 f3 how quickly and how far out do you see the future f1 stars like is it obvious when you see a, dr- a driver come in and you go yeah that g- that guy's making it all the way
5: so, so you can see it in f3 you there is Definitely talent that kind of rises to the top. There is, an, interestingly, uh, an F4 driver uh, called, uh, I, I can't remember his surname, but he's, his first name's Kimmy. Apparently, no uh, no relation or no <laughs> kind of. Uh, um, not not named after him, there, yeah. Uh, there, but he is mentioned time and time again um, as, I think it's Antonelli, Kimmy Antonelli, as a future star. And this is a teenager in F4. So, f- way back. Even casting, there will be names that are increasingly kind of brought up.
2: Yeah, and so for us Formula One guys, us ignorant Formula One guys who don't watch enough of other series, guilty. Um, I have a family. It's not my fault. Um, it's all their fault. So, I mean, Piastri turns up and suddenly everyone's fighting over him. Everyone, after he won his F2 title, was saying, oh, it's such a shame he's not in, in F1 um, now and hasn't got a seat, but then can't race in F2 again. So how big a deal is this guy from someone who covers junior series like was Piastri like obviously a superstar.
5: Yes. He came in and won the F3 championship first time of asking and as you rightly said with F3 and F2 if you win the championship you've got to move on. Moved up to F2 and won the championship again first time of asking. That does happen from time to you do see rookies in and amongst it, in fact, the F3 leader this season, Isaac Hadjar, uh, he's equal on points with, with his fellow countryman, Victor Martins, but Hadjar is a rookie. So you do you do see it, but Piastri very much does seem the real deal.
2: So does, does winning it, this is almost a stupid question, but if you want to be taken seriously, say, by the F1 teams, do you need to come in on your first season and win it? Obviously, there are drivers who've won it after three, four, five seasons.
5: So you don't need to win it straight away. Take Logan Sargent, for example, who you may have heard his name floated around. With Williams, He's yeah. He's going to be driving, yeah. He's part of their driver academy. He will be in taking a free practice session at the Circuit of Americas uh, ah. later this year. He, in his first season in F3, came third. He actually ran Piastri very, very close to the title. Should have won the title. Um, ended up falling behind Porcher into third in the, in the standings. His second year in F3, he finished seventh. Had a, uh, you know... An off year for him has come into F two. First time of asking, is third in the championship, and is is really impressing. So everyone's path is different, but you, really, you do want to be winning the series.
2: So is there an incentive if you're, I don't know, if you're, you're winning the you're winning the F two series, you've, you've got the attention of an F one team. <laughs> you say to the F one team, do you know what I'm gonna? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna ease up a bit so that I can race in F two next season. I'm gonna just make sure I don't win the championship
5: probably not because these are all fierce competitors yeah, that's right. to, to 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 even get to that stage of racing yeah. you've got to be you know really kind of one track minded in, in that sense and you you hear drivers who are in their first season of f2 who do well not you know setting setting the world light or looking at winning the championship who are still saying i only want to be here for a year the problem for for f1 is where do you put where do you place those guys when there aren't enough seats on the grid? Increasingly, careers are, are going longer. Yeah, Nick De Vries, Oscar Piastri. You know, these are names who haven't yet had their F1 debuts.
2: Yeah, people are definitely like, you know, people are racing for, for, for a couple of decades at the moment. So this is where we need a 30-car grid. We need 30-car grids. We need teams like Hesketh, you know, just coming on there on a, a wing and a prayer, uh, just so that we can showcase this talent. Or I think could we could we as if i'm in charge of the FYA, could we do more to promote the junior series as an as an event it almost feels like, like i struggle to casually just know when it's on it's not being thrust in my face when it's on is that almost deliberate so i don't want to put pressure on them or
5: i don't know if it's deliberate i think there is an increasing focus on those series much like not that it's a, an f1 feeder series but this year indycar seemed to have started to take off more and more in europe and there's more of a focus focus over here in the uk on that maybe it's because drivers like callum Eilot, who you know previously fared well in f2 are in that series part of the problem you, know, you kind of you've mentioned before in terms of you know, s- scheduling these races are sometimes on at nine o'clock in the morning <laughs> it's who's up it's, at that
0: time
5: <laughs> exactly and but uh, if you're actually at an event that so yeah. like I, I was at Silverstone earlier this year you're walking into the circuit at half eight in the morning and there's f3 guys on track and you're thinking well that's that's early this is a whole day of yeah i'm still you know. washing so, down my
2: toothpaste with coffee yeah
5: exactly yeah there's so it's difficult though because the whole race weekend there's so much to fit in when, when else are you gonna are you gonna run those guys? Um, but yeah, I think there is is an increasing focus as as people start to mm. kind of hear about these talents who aren't quite getting the opportunities in F one.
2: I I would like you know instead of focusing on sprint races. Go, well, look at the calendar that's already there and promote that. And it's good to see W Series getting a little bit more prominence this season as well. Uh, And hopefully that will continue with the Junior Series. Find out all your Junior Series news and needs by going and checking out Formula Nerds. We'll have a link in the show notes below. Uh, Are you on TikTok and Instagram, Sam?
5: Uh, So we're on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, of course. Um, We have played with TikTok in the past, so we may be back there uh, with a bang, hopefully, (laughs) um, because... All the Gen Zers uh, love a bit of TikTok. Got to be on TikTok. Unfortunately, I think yeah. we're, we're maybe a bit past it, as Spanners. Uh,
2: <laughs> Speak for yourself, Samuel. How, <laughs> da- how, how dare you? Uh, Samuel Coop will put your personal social media in the show notes as well. Thank you very much for your time Perfect. and, and uh, giving us an insight into Formula Nerds and the Junior Series. Thank you very much. Now then, to finish off today's show... I'm taking a bit of a risk as an egotistical content creator. I want to instinctively hate anyone who has success in my general kind of field. So I really, really, really hate my next guest. He's everywhere. He interviews everyone. He gets the best guests. He's got a billion followers and always finds the newly opened till at supermarket checkouts. It is Tom McCluskey, a.k.a. Tomo F1. Hello, mate. How's it going? How have you nailed it so precisely
6: and so spot on, Spanners? I yep. will, I, I, I'm i incredibly impressed. And as
2: a Chelmsford native, not too far from your neck of
6: the woods, you know what to expect from someone like me.
2: Just pure scum. Pure scum. Well, right. I'm a street rat from just down the road from you as well. But my, my, <laughs> uh, my bio is pretty accurate of you. Uh, you've got a billion followers. You get brilliant interviews. You get all the girls. You smell fantastic. It's been a real sort of YouTube content success story
6: it's been a, it's been quite the whirlwind i was uh I, I was an absolute nobody this time two and a half years ago and now all of a sudden i'm incredibly relevant and incredibly you know my, my forehead is even shinier now if, than it used to be if you do say
2: so yourself i thought you're gonna say i I'm mean I'm, I'm still irrelevant but i've got a good youtube channel uh, but yes it's um it's been a space in f1 where people can come through with interesting content and i think you do a lot of what I try to do, which is build a community of of like minded people around your content.
6: Precisely, mate. I, I think I've always loved talking about sport. I used to do football content on YouTube. I've now moved that to F one, and I've just always, you know, wanted to, you know, I, I think you could, YouTube can could be an extension of of the own conversations you have with your friends. And I, yeah, I just want to talk about the sport how I would with my friends, and and in a way that I think is. A approachable and and a lot of other people have jumped on board and seem to seem to kind of get on with it. So, yeah, that that's the only thing I've ever aimed to do is just put my opinion out there. Right or wrong, it's sport. Everyone's got their take and this is
2: me. Let's see if you anyway. take this as an insult. I don't think you will because I think you probably know that like you've got much more of a a modern streamer vibe than necessarily like a contenty broadcaster vibe that I try to do mm. where I write scripts myself and try and sound all posh.
6: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think I just kind of fell into creating videos in the first place, just because I wanted to learn how to edit videos and, and make videos. And I've, I've done not, I've done zero in terms of any kind of formal training in how <laughs> to broadcast or speak or like none of that because I just, I, and, and I guess I, I've been able to build that over the years. This kind of ability to just be myself on camera, because actually, I think that's quite difficult when you just get any. Random person, sticky camera in front of them. Ah, uh, yeah. They like they crap themselves. You know what I mean? I,
2: I, I'm able to do that now, which is great, and I can just carry that into my content. Yeah, no, and that's what's great about yours is what you see is what you get. Like with mm. with me, it's all it's all lies. You know, I turn so all the facade. Stream, yeah, I turn the stream off, then I go and kick my cat and just and just be secretly you, just bigoted Jesus. and horrible. <sighs> uh, but I, I wanted to talk to you about um, F1 fandom in, in general. But uh, firstly, you've been to more F1 races and tracks than me. So I am jealous. But I think Ooh. as F1 fans, it is actually hard to go to a variety of tracks. Like you need a significant wedge. Uh, but you've been to Canada and Miami, which is amazing. So Miami must have been this year. Indeed it was. Yeah, no, I,
6: I, I was lucky to get a, a an IG DM that wasn't fake spam once and it was an invite from a brand shout eight sleep and they sent me out to miami uh, which was which was an amazing opportunity and it was yeah it it was like you say there's one event per country unless you're italy so it is incredibly difficult to get to a variety of races um but yeah silverstone's fantastic canada as well absolute top tier
2: mate brilliant would recommend yeah montreal is one that i I used to love but then i think i I loved it because when it's good it's very very good but it is prone to quite a few duds isn't it it's like if there's a big crash if there's rain if there's safety cars it really does provide something but it can sort of settle down can't it but but being trackside seeing the cars going through those chicanes i'm I'm guessing is pretty spectacular
6: yeah it's an all-or-nothing circuit isn't it and you've got like the wall of champions is a prime example of that It, it kind of it doesn't feel like a street circuit um, but it is an it's that kind of nice hybrid. I've always loved uh, Cirque du never It's always been one of my favourite mm. tracks on the calendar. You are right. Um, you know it does does sometimes produce some duds, but you get a bit of changeable rain. I mean, it was absolutely roasting there this year. So we got nicely sunburnt. Me and my fiance at the time, who got married two days after in Canada, hence why we were there. And uh, yeah, it, 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 amazing place. <laughs> it's just such a weird environment as well. It's this little island and you've got all these lakes and it's like a beautiful area. It's like so different to Silverstone, which is just yeah. a big field in the middle of nowhere. That's It feels like a festival. This feels much more kind of, it's close to town as well. I was going to ask. I would so recommend it. You've got to get there.
2: Quite a lot to do. So like you can just like then nip oh, into yeah. town afterwards. Because that's the, yeah, the big yeah. problem with Silverstone is you've got to commit Mm -hmm. to being there all day you've got like park Mm -hmm. like 50 miles away and get on a sweaty bus in the middle of summer and then you're plonked there and at the mercy of the venue you're just stuck in the middle of like milton king it's just
6: like why like like, you you literally just jump on the metro from like montreal like Mm. central station and it's like two three stops it's an absolute breeze it takes a bit of time getting out but compared to silverstone it's so good. Whenever, you have to go to, Spanish. Yeah. Whenever, to go.
2: whenever I think about uh, going to Silverstone, there's always that deep breath. The thing that puts me off absolutely the most is is the transport in. Not mm-hmm. that they care because they get like uh, put half a billion people in every single time. But I am tempted <laughs> to try and mix in a North American karting event around the Canadian Grand Prix one year um, to try and kind of, I don't know, make it a bit of a tax write-off, I guess, if nothing else. <laughs> Yeah, I mean you wouldn't regret
6: it. And and that also, yeah, that was, you know,
2: I make content out there, so, you exactly. know. Exactly. It counts, it's, right? Yeah, technically see. it's technically work. Um let's talk about <laughs> F1 fandom though because as content creators at our kind of level, we're not really bound by journalistic standards where mm-hmm. we have to come across as being completely neutral or not support any drivers. But it's a lie when those people do that because everybody supports someone a little bit and you're not afraid as a content creator to say I like this driver or that team
6: oh Alex Albon all the way mate I mean I I, (laughs) you know what I mean I I think it's one of them that you know you you enjoy sport you get into sport again I'm a big football fan and it's more following teams I think in F1 it's more following individuals typically unless you're you're Tafosi and part of the Ferrari fandom I think it's much more uh kind of ingrained in human beings and I think that can make things even more polarizing at times when you are your your fandom is circulating individuals. But again, like I say, I, I want this conversation, you know f- the conversation I want to have with my mates isn't just stipulated in I'm going to defend my favorite driver at all times. Yes. I, yes. We all have our biases. We all have our own perspective of how we look at things. I probably take in a bit more information around Alex than other people do because he's my favorite driver. Yes. But yeah. at the end of the day, I just want to have an open conversation. And you know what, That that's where you get tripped up sometimes because uh, it's some people who look, look for it through the lens of their favorite driver and only that lens and some other people who look for it through the broader sport i guess and i try and do the latter i guess as best as i can as a normal human being
2: it's interesting you saying the the main difference is you taking in more information so i i have this with perez and especially you know he's been up against you know one of the top drivers in formula one and so obviously been a bit of a rough time but i will take in information about what kind of setups they're on and if they're on a different strategy or if they're trying out a potentially legal flaws Uh, sorry alleged did I say alleged I said alleged legal flaws okay good Uh, (laughs) I'll take my tin hat off but you're right because you take in more information sometimes that feels oh you're just finding excuses for your for your favorite Mm. driver and you must have had this with Albon as well actually very similar situation to Perez as the Red Bull number two yeah
6: absolutely like you're not going to (laughs) go
2: looking for
6: numbers that you know because I, I think when you d- dig into the numbers around, you know, relative to max performance wise, in 2020, he didn't do that much worse of a job oh, here we go. than Checo did last year. But <laughs> like, like, if, you, if you look into the win percentage, points percentage, blah, yeah, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But obviously, I'm going to go and find that information because he's yes. my favorite driver. And I, I, I want to
2: understand. Yeah, I'm bother. not going to look into that yeah. kind
6: of information with a Lance Stroll, for example, a driver that I don't dislike. I just don't really have any opinion about.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah, Yeah, that's right. And so, yeah, as long as you are declaring that out up front, I really, Mm. I respect that. And I enjoy content more when I know who people are gunning for. There's certain mainstream commentators or presenters who you can tell they've got like seething resentment towards a driver. (laughs) And they never say it. And you can kind of, there's this one person in particular, you can hear them earning the ability to put down this certain driver. So they go, oh, he's so good. Oh, he's so good in these situations. He's brilliant in that. And like he saved up the credit so that he can go, ah, that's where he sucks and he's awful and I hate him and hope he crashes. But do, you, do you know what I mean? So, But <laughs> because because they're not honest about Absolutely. that, you have to sit and pick it apart. Yeah, I, I, and that's ultimately, I
6: think, where a lot of cynicism comes in because especially when you're putting your opinions out there on YouTube or on Twitter or whatever platform, you know, you, you do have people that... Um and again, look, I just think that's quite normal and quite mm. human. Like if there's a football team that you don't particularly like and they have a bad decision go against them, you're not going to really care unless, like, in the same way as if it's your team. And th- th- there's so much nuance to it. And and again, I, I just think there's no if, if you're going to choose to put yourself out there, like I do, like you do, like any content creator does, be that YouTube videos, be that just posting on Twitter, it doesn't matter. Like. You're gonna get people who look at what you say through, you know, their own lens, and everyone's got their own perspective, and everyone, you know, people, going to mm. choose to interpret what you've said in the worst possible way. But you kind of have to roll with that because you are choosing to put yourself out there into the public es- ecosphere. and nobody knows. Like, like for all you know, I, I could be. I could be like, this could all be lies. This it could, could be. all be lies and I could be playing everyone and I could actually <laughs> hate Alex Alba. but obviously that's not true. You Alex, could just you pick it I,
2: and, and, look, and look, in content creation, for example, me and Matt will, we'll, we'll make sure that we're not overly agreeing. So if, if he's got an opinion about Ocon and, and I like, I didn't really care but because he defends mm. Ocon in the way that you defend Albon and I defend Perez, I will just sit there and, and attack Ocon, you know, just for the, for the sake of content <laughs> and for the sake of, uh, you know, for the sake of challenging his opinion. But I'm wondering, you've got, I've just looked it up, 99,948 followers on Twitter.
6: I'm so close to 100K. Ooh,
2: so close. It's, I'm glad we caught insane. you before you went over the before you came too me. Yeah, I, I would have rejected the interview yeah, if it had was been too important. 100K. But have you found, like, well, I I certainly have, that I I now am different online because the instinct if someone criticises Albon or Perez or Hamilton or something like that is to go, "Nah, because of the things. But when you've got, like, you get masses of replies to every post, you have to be pretty careful, I guess, and selective.
6: Yeah, that's the thing because I never want to... I never want to say things that I don't believe and say things that I don't think. I always want to be uh, as true to to my own opinions as I can. What I will say is is now that the platform's a lot bigger, I do think, more about what i say before i say it mm. because again like you said like when when no one's watching uh, and it, no you know no one's no, no one cares like no one's you you can you can tweet more emotionally you can just say things off the cuff that you know you might reflect and actually be like oh in the heat of the moment i didn't probably mean that so much um but i, I think yeah that there's a i guess a responsibility for for, for myself to to kind of just take a bit of a step back sometimes when it is a more controversial, which obviously last year was full of controversy. And I think every time I I tweeted about what was going on last year, I did give it more thought than I would typically, because I think Twitter, I used to use just to shotgun things out there and just Mm. boom, boom. But like, as soon as I'm thinking something, bang. But actually, yeah, I I think because people, you're putting it out into the ecosphere where anyone and everyone can see what you're saying. I think you owe it to yourself more than anyone to, to think a
2: bit more about what you're saying before you put it out there. Yeah, well, I mean, you're a relatively young man, late 20s, without giving too much away. Just about just about holding on to my 20s. Just about just about relevant and <laughs> uh, with with local. a big following. And there's a there's there's a fair amount of big accounts like yours in general, but in F1 as well that can really lead the conversation. And I you know, one of the things we were talking about offline was the toxicity in F1 fandom at the moment. It's spilled over into the tracks at certain venues. But my belief is it, it has started on on social media. So, you know, shed mugs like me got less of responsibility. But there are accounts that aren't as nice as yours that are as influential that will just go all out on the attack because it's addictive. You get a lot of you get a lot of likes. You get a lot of retweets if you do stray a little bit that way.
6: Yeah, I I think operating especially if you are going to align yourself to one particular driver. It it's drivers more than teams, let's let's be honest. Align yourself with one particular driver, you know, build up a, a fan base within that echo chamber. You've got that, you know, those other people who are just gonna blindly defend and blindly take side of, of their driver or their team or whatever happens and then the other people do the same and then those tweets will like catch wind of the opposite (laughs) like echo chamber and that's when it all kicks off as soon as one picks it up and (sighs) quote tweets it, then it's gone into that other echo chamber and then you've got the two echo chambers attacking (laughs) each other i'm in the middle trying to be objective and then people sending me i'm flip-flopping because i don't permanently align with one side and then it just causes you know and nobody wins at the end of the day because everyone's just wasting their life arguing on twitter
2: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean, quote tweeting is the absolute worst even if you've only got a few hundred followers you've probably got followers who follow the same drivers and things that you do so your little quote tweet gets picked up by three or four other people that that quote tweet and and what i found was especially last season i would have a, a, a tweet a tweet something about the Verstappen Hamilton battle i'd have a lovely kind of 20 minutes and then it would get picked up by like the opposite <laughs> echo chamber and then it would be hell but actually if i was ever critical of lewis hamilton and and i think as fans especially as football fans and I think you'll relate to this as a, a West Ham fan, as a fan of, of a terrible team, you're more mm-hmm. critical of your team when they are failing and doing badly. Oh my God. And so yes, when I, yeah.
6: This is the thing as well. I, I think so many fans and, you know, this this goes as much as football fans and I'm sure of any sport, you know, to, to me, it's never been interesting. It's never been... You know, drilled into me to, uh, as as a fan of West Ham growing up, and and again, I I, I drivers that I was fans of throughout F one, mm. but West Ham's been a permanent fixture in my entire life. I'm so sorry, is it, is, I know it's, it's never been drilled into me to b- like blindly because up, like yeah. if they do well, I'm happy. If they don't do well, I'll call it out, and that's the approach I've carried on to. You know, Alex Albon, I love him, but he makes mistakes. What's up? He was he was driving like a in Monaco. Like <laughs> I, I can call him out on that because. That to me, that and this is what I say the, the distinction between fandom, which is you know what I consider myself, I, I have my favorites, but I look at the sport more objectively and I try and like taking yeah. every, every, everything into account, and then stand which is just standing your favorite and defending blindly okay, 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 going, okay.
2: Tomo, 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 happens. Tomo. I'm 41. What I, I keep hearing this phrase, Stan, and it's been going on. You
6: know where Stan came from? No, the I've M- got no old
2: Eminem song, Eminem song back from the. Oh, is that all it is? Yeah, that's where it came from. I thought it was like super fan, was my guess. Okay, so someone who's like an intensely obsessive yeah. fan. You've seen the music video. Yeah, right? I've where seen the music the, video, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's where it comes from. Oh, man, it's, it's one of those things. All from. the kids were saying it, but I, didn't, more, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't want to see my own call. <laughs> um, but yes, there's people who are, uh, are fans and then can be critical. Like, I'm sure you're critical of Albon throwing away that win by turning in on Lewis Hamilton at Interlagos. And I'm sure you can see that for the irrational poor driving. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, no, all right, better. I'm sure I can. He's got the romper <laughs> point going on now. He's pointing at me down the Zoom call. Um, and then the the Stan, that I now feel confident as a, as a phrase mm-hmm. to use, where almost your identity revolves around the, that your driver always being good, always being correct, always being right. Mm-hmm. And, and that, it just, it comes across but, but, unhinged.
6: But also, kind of one thing I do want to say is that, look, people are entitled to follow and if you want to you know you want to follow the sport through a certain driver and you want to be a stand that's there's nothing fundamentally wrong with that and and i think there are you know platforms and and there's your twitter accounts and there's podcasts and there's youtube channels that that appeal more to that and and will follow certain drivers that's fine there's nothing wrong with that the problem is when every when it all comes together and typically i think those that stands are more likely to harbor more kind of extreme people who will go and attack and and send DMs and and make threats and and be just horrible. Like, I I think that there is a space for people to follow the sport however they want to. There's there's no fundamental issue with that. It's when it does boil over and everyone starts attacking each other that I just think, you know, like, just grow up.
2: Yeah, and and then and it is looks like it is kind of spilling into the real world. Obviously, I'm sure everyone's most sane people are condemning the things like burning hats. Gosh. Like that's a really dark path to go down. Like, what's next? The next step after that isn't pretty.
6: Like, it's ridiculous. Like, and again, like. I thought it was good that Max called that out, you know, yeah. and and how much of that came from him, how much of that he was told. We don't know. They're F1 drivers. I'm sure they're told to do a lot of things, but that that's that's just, yeah, it's just stupid. Like, what are you doing? The connotations attached to that also are very, very dark. Yeah. Whether or not the person meant that or not. No. And, it, and you should be called out. And, and you, I, I think there's certain things you can debate, like, for example, the booing. I've never had a massive problem personally with oh, booing, but again, yes. I'm a football fan, so that's just the norm. I think there's a conversation around that, but I think there are certain things that clearly overstep the line mm. and clearly need calling out.
2: I Yeah, I, I've sort of moved on that because I, I like a good-natured boo. And I feel like you've paid your money. If it is a well-intentioned boo, which I always felt it was, like against the German drivers, we're booing you because you're brilliant and you're, <laughs> you're ruining everyone for us by being really good. So, you know, when, when Verstappen broke down at Silverstone, of, of course, every fibre in my body wanted to, to boo him. But I'd have also bought him a pint in the same breath. Mm. now that the booing has taken on i think a bit of a, a a deeper connotation is a little feels a little bit more sinister i now don't want to add my voice to the booing with my good natured and that's the thing yeah.
6: exactly what you say it's like that there's there's booing in its own as a thing in isolation isn't good or bad but it's the intent and, yeah. and it, it depends on, uh. on what intent you think it, it carries and maybe it does carry in certain intent in different areas and again intent that that's so much of the conversation is around intent, like, uh, and and it's impossible when you've got one hundred and forty characters or whatever in Twitter to to, to summarize yes. any possible intent to to encapsulate it perfectly. And a hundred million it, it's not, voices, it's not doable.
2: yeah, a hundred million voices as well. And judging people's tone, judging what mood people are in, but like even even I mean, we were talking about trying when you try to be more biased or try and be more constructive. As a massive Lewis Hamilton fan, whenever I'm critical of Lewis Hamilton, I think one time I was critical of a radio call that he made. Mm. And I'm I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes critical of his approach to qualifying, not so much anymore. Uh, Then I'll get called out massively by Hamilton fans. And I got in this quote tweet cycle where hundreds and hundreds of Hamilton fans were coming at me. And I'm like, every tweet, I'm like blue on blue man blue (laughs) same same (laughs) team same team (laughs) um but yeah it's a shame because i want to be able to enjoy those online communities they could be so good Mm. and 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 that's why you can never win you know
6: if you if you choose to align with one side then you know you always have that side backing you but then you know you're always going to be attacked from the other side and and also you're not really as far as i'm concerned if you're just permanently aligning yourself with one side whatever happens then you're just not being honest to yourself in terms of you Mm -hmm. know looking at the sport objectively and then if you try and be neutral which again like i'm only interested in looking at the sport from a neutral point of view because that's where it's interesting to me to have a discussion to have a multifaceted discussion about things then yeah you'll get you know you'll get heat from all sides (laughs) um to to probably less of an extent and you know uh, you've seen over over kind of this this has obviously been a huge subject over particularly towards the end of last year, but it's still kind of coming up continuously and it's not going to, I I just think, I just think cynicism, like it's so cynical on Twitter. It's, it's so cynical once your tweet gets in the hands of the people who, you know, have this kind of extreme point of view on things and the cynicism just needs to go, man. It's something I'm more conscious of now that I do have a platform and I've got Mm. a lot of people listening to what I say is that, you know, I, I I should be more respectful. Uh, there, there's been videos in in, in the past at, at the early, yeah, at the early stage of the channel where, you know, I, I'd be saying about how like at the time I just felt like Latifian and Stroll just didn't have a personality and I'd kind of go on and, in things that I just, in, in reflection, I was just like, actually, no, like I've learned a bit more about him. I actually think Lance Stroll in particular, I think he's hilarious mm. actually. I think he's good crap when you get him on a good day. Um, and yeah, it's just like, it's just unnecessary. But I think it, for me, even for me, like it, and I, I wasn't someone who went around being toxic, but even for me, I think, you know, yeah. just oh, no. to, it, it took having that platform for me to really think about it a bit more, I suppose.
2: Yeah, no, no, I can definitely look back. I can pull out three examples yeah. where I went, oh, maybe I was a bit toxic there. Like, I, you know, I, I still think this is funny, but I was trying to cultivate this image where Daniel Ricardo was secretly evil behind the scenes, a little <laughs> bit like Lord Business you know, in um, in Lego Movie, but anyway, that's but by, by, by the by. But then you go, well, actually, as more people listen? Yeah, maybe that is maybe that is <laughs> toxic, and I'm adding to it. But look, thanks, uh, uh, Tomo. All I really wanted to do was invite you on and just uh, speak to you know a more successful, but appear a nonetheless in my in my um, in my creation space and just have a bit of a rant because wouldn't it be nice if we could all just be a tiny bit nicer on social media? And I include me on that because. Nice of you to kind of admit and remind me that we made mistakes. Getting to the point where we went, oh, maybe we should be less toxic exactly. and horrible.
6: Every, every, we're all human, mate. We're all trying our best. um But as long as you know you got the heart in the right place, which you know, I like. to I, I just think, yeah, I, I think it's the cynicism and the skepticism that is just is very, very high online, and it's just you know, just it's not assume the worst in everyone all the time because actually mm. most people are good. I think inherently.
2: Yeah. 99,950 now. It's gone up in the time that we've been chatting. So go and, follow, go and follow Tomo. He's at F one That's the rubbish hand. I didn't really realise no. it is at TW. Hi. Twomo. Twitter oh, Tomo. Twomo. No, I, don't, I don't like that. It's not as bad as having an underscore. But no, it's, what, it's, You it's... know what? No one liked it. But since I changed it, I've
6: like three-folded my Twitter following. So... Okay. <laughs> Okay so and we're at, talking about it at so you know Swamo
2: F1 T W O M M O F1 and so if we get him over the 100,000 then we share in that success it's basically us. You you get my
6: Twitter play button.
2: Right? Yeah that's the one Private I don't care. know I don't know what that is but I'm glad to make a new friend. <laughs> hope that we can do some kind of like Twitter spacey call in thing at some point in the future and and maybe even uh, drop back into the shed again and give us some give us some hot takes Tomo.
6: That sounds good to me, mate.
2: No, thank you very much for having me on, Span. It's been an
6: absolute
2: pleasure. There you go. Go and follow him at TwomoF1, Tom McCluskey, a.k.a. the phenomenon that is the internet's Tomo TomoF1. Well, that's the end of our summer buffet. We are now back towards the business end of the summer break where we'll be looking forward to... The Spa Grand Prix, of course, we will be in with a race review from eight o'clock. So the race review will be there ready for your Monday morning commute. I hope you've had a great summer and I hope you'll like and subscribe and do all the things you're supposed to do. Leave us an iTunes review and consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Our iRacing season is starting again in September. If you want to be involved in our F3 Cup, make sure you email Race racecontrol.com at mistapex.net. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mist Apex Podcast.